Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ronnie. For the next couple of months, we will be examining the scripture's teaching on the Christian's calling for good works. Today, we start that journey by looking at where good works must begin. For if we are unable to show love to one another, how will we ever succeed in loving our enemies? Thanks for listening on this Valentine's Day Sunday as we seek to embody the love of Jesus as he defined it. Well, when I was in second grade, we had a way of letting the other kids know which ones were more favored than the others. And on no other day was that more visible than on Valentine's Day. Do you guys remember the grade school Valentines? Just those little little ones and you'd lick them and the glue even tasted good, if you remember that. And uh, the way that you could tell if you were really liked by somebody is not whether or not you got a Valentine, because everyone, every kid got a Valentine. But some Valentines had those little candy hearts that taste like chalk. You know the ones I'm talking about? Uh, you, 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 you'd, you'd jam a couple of those in one of the Valentines. And if you got one with candy in it, ooh, you knew. I mean, it was like cash for a second grader. You know, it was just, it's how you knew that you were loved. Now, I remember, and, and this stuck with me, one particular uh, Valentine's in second grade, uh, where I, there, there, was a, there was a girl who liked to pick on me. Let's put it that way. And I ended up, when we were passing out Valentines, I ended up getting one from her. And do you know what it had in it? It had a bunch of them candies. And I thought, I didn't know she liked me. I, I always thought she didn't like me. And so because this didn't add up right, I, you know, I kind of, after I was, you know, in a real cool second grade way, went over to her and was like, hey, I didn't, I didn't know that you, you liked me. And she she looked at the Valentine that she gave me and she snatched it out of my hand and she said, that one's not for you. <laughs> we, we had two Ryans in my second grade class. So, yeah, you know, no wonder why that stuck with a kid for so long, right? You know, we, we, have, a, we have a similar uh, danger in the church. We need to make sure that our actions are actually lining up with how we feel about people. We need to make sure that we're not seen as hypocritical in the way that we live, but instead there is good consistency in the way that we show love to all people. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing in our world today. A lot of people are two-faced. A lot of people are double-minded. And mostly that comes because you care more about what people think of you, which is the perversion of love. Love is never self-seeking. Love always gives, it always sacrifices, and it always seeks the good of the other person. We need to make sure, as God's people, we're not offering confusing valentines in our actions with other people, but instead that they line up in in congruity with how we truly feel, with the calling that we've been given from God to love our enemies. Uh, there, there's a passage in the book of 2 Corinthians. I, I just, we're not going to study it. We're going to study First John. But I, I want to share it with you because when Paul addresses the church in Corinth, let me tell you this, they're a mess. The church in Corinth has got these false teachers who have crept in and have twisted the minds of the people against the Apostle Paul. But in 2 Corinthians, they change. They, they, they repent of their ways and they once more adhere to Paul's teachings. And this is what the Apostle Paul has to say about them. He says, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need like some people letters of recommendation from you or to you? You 
yourselves are our letter written on your hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The the message here is that there ought never be the need for the church to actually send a valentine. You, You should never, as God's people, actually need to write a letter because you know what? You are a letter. You, your life, the way you speak, the way you act, the time that you sacrifice to give to one another, the extensions of mercy and help, service that we would extend to one another. That becomes like a megaphone speaking louder than any little card that you can put in someone's hand. You are a letter. The title of this message is called Embodiment. It's, uh, it's on the same series that we're in about doing good. And as we saw last week, last week's message was focusing on, in on how do we get application with our prayer partners. That, that was really the, the focus of last week to kick things off. This week is really kind of the beginning. Because as we examine where love begins, if we are going to make a change out in the world, you will fail unless it's already working here. I say that again? I want to make sure that everybody's tracking with me on this. We have to make sure we are functioning as God's people, that love is seen within and through us before it's ever going to make a difference outside of here. So this is where we begin. Uh, it's, a, it's a message, it's a theme that's given throughout the New Testament, this concept of embodying Jesus, that the love of Jesus, the words of Jesus The actions of Jesus, the perspectives and values of Jesus are engrafted into your heart so that everywhere you go, all the words that you say, it's almost as if Jesus himself were there, that you are the embodiment of his love now radiating and shining throughout. I want to give you a few examples of this. First here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says to the church, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known to everyone. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This from Philippians 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have... Us, as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Do you see the embodiment theme carried through here? 2 Thessalonians 3.9. Paul's saying, uh, he's, he's talking about how he served among them. He says, we did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Just two more. Titus 2.7. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. This is Paul's indictment here to Titus in leading the church. He is to set an example. And in 2 Corinthians 11.10, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Do you see the theme here of embodiment? You are not in any way fashioned for ministry just because you come to church. Coming and sitting in a building doesn't make you a Christian any more than parking uh, or or sitting in a garage makes you a car. 
Have you heard that one before? Right? Just because you're in a certain location doesn't make you what you ought to be. Instead, there ought to be that engrafting, that investing of the love of Jesus in your life so that you begin to embody the presence of Jesus everywhere you go. In fact, I'd like to direct your attention to your bulletin. If you look at the very front, you'll see the key theme passage uh, listed at the very bottom in Galatians 6.10. I have it up here on the screen as well. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But then, watch this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So today we're kicking things off. Even though we started really two weeks ago and, and we focused in on applicational prayer partners last week, today, if we're going to make a difference out there, it has to begin where? Turn to your neighbor, say right here. Oh, I only saw some of you do it. Okay. <laughs> if we're going to make a difference in the world, it's got to begin with us. So do good to all people, especially to those who are of God's family. Uh, our passage this morning that we're going to study is going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look through uh, verses 11 through 18, focusing here on this theme that works, good works that glorify God, they start with us. And as we perfect those here, we become equipped to do that outside. Passage is in page 1739 in the Pew Bibles. 1 John 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. John writes, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. All right, and we'll, we'll pause there in the, in the middle of the chapter here for our devotion this morning. What, I, what I'd like to do is, uh, is walk through this, and then uh, as we bring out a couple of observations, uh, I'm going to end today by just sharing two stories. Two, two stories that I want you to, to watch in contrast with one another as Jesus encounters some of the characters that we see in the gospel message. I want us to evaluate the distinction, the difference in their response and allow the spirit to speak as to how we might respond. So as we look through this passage, just a few points to draw out here in terms of observation. Number one, if you don't embody love, the problem isn't the other person. So let me unpack that, right? If, if you are failing at displaying love, understand this. It is not the other person's fault. 
You, you do not get to say, well, I'll tell you why I don't love them right now. i got a whole list of things here. And you are going to try to place the blame on them. They're not the ones who have the problem, though. If you are failing to embody love, the problem is actually with you. It's not with them. If you look with me back in our text again, look at verse 12. Uh, John brings up uh, an example. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. And he, he says here, uh, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? If John was asking Cain, Cain might say, I'll tell you why I murdered him. He had it coming. He got what he deserved. Uh-uh. Time out. Look again at the text. Let's see if we find out why it is. And John gives us the answer. He says, because his own actions were evil. There's no excuse for murder. There's no excuse for hatred. There's no reason why you are justified in your hatred of your fellow brother or sister. The problem is not with them. The problem is actually in your heart. And I, I, I want to display this for you just as it's been modeled by Jesus. If ever there was somebody who was justified in his hatred of people, it would have been Jesus. But here's the picture. Two, two ways I'll show you. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he met with his disciples to have dinner with them. And Jesus knew one of them was going to betray him. What was his name again? Judas. Judas was going to betray Jesus. But even as, as Jesus prepares to share the meal, he pauses. And he takes off his outer garment and wraps a towel around his waist. And Jesus here gets down on his knees and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, including who? Can you believe that? Can you, could you do that? Here, here's the one who's going to betray you. Here's the one who has been with you the whole time and is now going to turn you over behind your back to the authorities. And what does Jesus do? He still lovingly takes the water and places it over Judas's feet and washes away the grime and washes away the, the dirt that's there. Not only that, but then at the meal, Jesus shares the bread and shares the meal with Judas, the one who is going to betray him. And it's only after this that uh, we have the text telling us in John that now the evil one entered Judas and Judas got up and left and everybody thinks he's going to, to uh, run an errand. But was G- could Jesus be justified in his anger and hatred towards Judas? He could be, but what did he do? He still loved them. One, one more example from Jesus' life. He, he has now been beaten He has now been flogged and whipped. He's now walked the path to Calvary on his back there on the rough timber on the cross. And the soldiers begin nailing spikes through his wrist. And do you know what Jesus says? He says, go to hell. Is that what he says? Could have he? Nobody on earth had a greater validation and validity to say those words. But that's not what he says. What does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, it's not easy, folks. I know it's not easy, but this is, this is where we have to begin with our observations. You understand this. If you don't love your brother or your sister, the problem isn't with them. And do we annoy each other? Yes. <laughs> do we get on each other's nerves? Yes. There are a lot of little things. Someone will make a comment they weren't even thinking, and it just hits you in the wrong way, and you think... Gosh darn it, why did they say that? And now the devil has a little foothold in your life. And you think, I don't want to love that person at all. I don't want to forgive that person at all. Understand this. 
That's not a problem with them. It's a problem with you. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. What, why did Cain murder his brother? Not because Abel deserved it, but because there was evil. There was wickedness in his heart. Number two is this. The absence of love is a characteristic of the world. So I, I'd like to draw you back into the text again. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. I feel like we need to hear that preached like every week now. Are you guys with me on this? The, the way that um, God, through his wisdom, is allowing the Christian faith to be so clearly seen in contrast with the world's values. Look, you need to make sure there's no confusion on Judgment Day. The passage that we're given by Jesus as a parable is that there was a farmer who sowed good seed and then an enemy came in and sold, uh, sowed weeds. And the, the, the worker said, hey, do you want to pull up the weeds? And they say, no, wait till harvest time. And then you'll know the difference because at harvest is where you see the fruit. And so you'll know which is a weed and you'll know which not to pick because it's the crop. Except what if there's no difference between you and the world? What if your values are the same as the world? Judgment day will come. The harvesters will be extended here. And, you know, I can't tell any difference between your life and the life of a Christ follower. Because the absence of love is not a characteristic of the church. The absence of love is a characteristic of the world. John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's their MO. That's how they operate. I want to show you a couple of their passages. John 15, Jesus says these words. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is is why the world hates you. Number three, embodying love for one another is evidence of salvation. Now, this is, a, this is a beautiful passage. This is a place where you can find comfort and rest in your own hearts to know the spirit of God does dwell and reside within me. Look with me again at the text in verse 14. John says, we know, which is a very common phrase for John. If, if, if you study John's writings, you'll see in many places he, he wants to lock down these things that you can just take to the bank. We know this to be true. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We know we have. And so your ability to love in a supernatural way to those people who drive you nuts the most, those people who annoy you more than anybody, your ability to love them, that's evidence that God rules in your heart and you don't rule in your heart. Here's, a, here's this from Jesus in John 13. A new command I give you. This is Lois's verse for a children's message. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Do, do you see what is the qualifying feature here? If I go to church? Nope. Well, if I pay my tithe? Nope. It's the visible embodiment of Jesus' love. That's how you know. Uh, this as well. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you love one another. So, number three is embodying love for one another's evidence of salvation. The, the flip is true as well. That the absence of love is evidence of damnation. And it may sound harsh for you, but I'm just teaching you what the Bible says. So go with me once more into the text. Verse 14, he says at the end, anyone who does not love 
remains in death. Now, if, if you're feeling a little squirmish in your seat this morning, let me tell you, get out of that. <laughs> you don't want to sit where there's death. Um, when, I, when I think of an example of this, I think of um, carbon monoxide poisoning. I, I remember it was in third grade. My third grade teacher passed away. Her, her and her husband died um, one night because of carbon monoxide poisoning right right in the house. It was, a, it was a shocker for us. I remember being a third grader just feeling like, wow, I didn't know how to make sense of that. Why, why is carbon monoxide so dangerous? You don't even know it's happening. You don't even know it's there and it can poison you. I think that's what anger and bitterness is a little bit like with a Christian. I think that we live in a world that's made permission for that type of behavior. That you can secret. There's a bunch of political ways that you can't hate or hate speech or any version that the world wants to talk about. But they have also found a way that you are totally permitted and allowed to have vendettas against one another. And if it's permitted in the world, make sure that doesn't creep into the church. Because if it goes unaddressed, it will kill you. If, if that is resident in your life, a kind of latent bitterness, I'm, I might forgive, but I ain't never going to forget. I mean, that's not forgiveness. This anger, this deep-seated, I refuse to let go. That's like carbon monoxide. You might not even realize it's there, but it's deadly in your life. This passage from Matthew 5, we studied this a few weeks back. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, uh, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means you fool. It's this accusation against them. It's unforgiveness in their heart. They are answerable to court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So um, again, I, I, even though we're talking about damnation here, you, you and I need to make sure we're reading our Bibles. Because this is not my word. Look with me again, verse 14. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Verse 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So the absence of love is, is evidence of damnation. Number five is, is an important one. This, this one, this is worth a whole sermon in and of itself. I'll, I'm going to cover it in two minutes. Jesus is our model for what love looks like. Oh, what a beautiful verse, verse 16 is. Look, look with me in your Bibles. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know, there's a lot of confusion in our world today. Hadaway back in 1993 had a song, What is love, baby? You know, you know what I'm saying? A yeah. lot of confusion in our world today about love. Some people have gone so far to leave it subjective. Love is love. Whatever that is for you, that's valid. Just call it love and it's totally permitted. Time out. Wouldn't it be great if we had a model? Wouldn't it be great if we could actually define love? Here it is. This is worth underlining and circling in your Bible. I'll read it one more time. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ Lay down his life for us. Just my, my, uh, my mini sermon inside of a sermon. Three ways that you know this I want to share with you. Number one, love is costly. Look again at verse 16. Jesus laid down. What did, what did he lay down? His life. So number one, if you want to define love, true love ain't cheap. It's costly. 
And any moment in your life, whether as a parent or as a spouse, that you've had to really wrestle with somebody because you love them, and I'm not going to let you go because I love you, you get it. You know that this love that you have, it costs something. So that's the first thing we see here, right? Jesus laid down his life. Uh, Number two, it's selfless. What is it that he laid down? His life. Jesus didn't show you love by laying down someone else's life. So love, not only is it costly, secondly, it's selfless. Any version of love where the arrow points to you is actually called lust. Lust is a perversion of love that's self-seeking. I want for me. It's my time. My ship is coming. Me, myself, and I. That's not love. Jesus models for us what it is. What is love? Well, number one, it's costly. Number two, the arrow points away. It's always selfless. It's always giving. Number three, uh, love always seeks the benefit of others. So uh, just to finish this uh, verse on verse 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for who? Not for himself. It's for others. So true love, if you want to define it, true love always seeks the benefit of others. It's costly. It's selfless. Seeks the benefit of others. Now, that's a whole sermon, right? I, I give you verses and a bunch. That's just free this morning for you. So, Okay, number six. Let's get back on track. Embodying love means tangible sacrifice and service. And John helps us see this here in verse 17. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You got a picture of that from Gary's witness this morning for his buddy Terry. I I don't know who from our church sent that card, but it probably wasn't you. (laughs) I I doubt everybody in here sent Terry a card, but it was sent on your behalf. That's about as much action as we are able to give. Where does he live again, Gary? South Dakota. He lives in South Dakota. So if you're going to go shovel his driveway, you're going to have to hustle up and, and, and get out there, right? But the most that we can express love here was writing a card. That's, that's not what John's talking about with, with just words. Those words matter when you tangibly take the actions that you can. What John's talking about is the kind of Christianity that says, I don't want to get my hands dirty with it. Good luck. Good luck. I got this to do instead. How can the love of God be in you? If you know of somebody that is in need and you can help fulfill that need, but you're sitting on your hands, the love of God's not present there. So so what does embodying love really mean? It means sacrifice and it means service. Um, I would like to, uh, as I want to wrap up here, I want to share two stories with you. And in order to do this, we've got to turn in our Bibles together and read together. So the first story comes from Luke's gospel. If you, if you will, will with me here, turn to Luke in chapter 19, right at the beginning. Um, I, I have the words up on the screen, but they're real tiny. I, I prefer if you have a Bible just to follow along with me. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. It's the story of a greedy little man. A greedy little man named Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verses 1 through 9. Listen as I read the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Beautiful story. Um, uh, don't, don't get lost here in the, in, the, in the picture that Luke is describing for us. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and then goes to his house and then welcomes Jesus and then has dinner with Jesus. All of that's there right in verse 6. And then it's in the, in, in the middle, it's in the context of being with Jesus that something happens to Zacchaeus. Something happens to this man who loved money more than anything. He now has a new love. Now, just hold on to that story for a moment, because I want us to read a second story. And this is going to be in Mark's gospel. So turn back a few more pages in your New Testament to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look in verse 17 through verse 22. 1440. 1440 in the Pew Bible. Thank you, Tom. Mark 10, starting in verse 17. I have this up on the screen here as well. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Two, two stories this morning. Because our, our, our sixth uh, observation here in this text is that the embodying of love means tangible sacrifice and service. We have two men. We have one man, that, one man that was kind of staying at a distance from Jesus, but Jesus came too. And then we have another man who rushed up to Jesus, had, had all of his ducks right in a row. I mean, he was wearing a tie for church that Sunday. Both of these men were filthy rich. You might as well just call them Americans. They, they had all of their needs met. But there's a very different response from the two of them. Question, did Jesus love both of them? He absolutely did. 
But can you see how only one of these men responded in a way that then carries the value of Jesus forward and the other one retained what it wanted for itself? I want us to work to a couple of conclusions that we can take away from our study this morning. Number one, a love for Jesus will produce a love for others. That's, where, that, I, that's like worth 10 bucks right there. That, that will get you 90% the way down the road. If you struggle at all in having a love for others, this is where you need to begin. The greater your love is for Jesus, the more you will love other people. When I, when I was growing up in school, um, I, was, I was easy to tease because I was kind of clueless. And so kids that are mean, because all kids are mean, kids would tease me. And I remember being very young, right about middle school. I said, I will never work a job with people. <laughs> that didn't work out so good. God has a way of changing your heart. God has a way of helping you look and see somebody who all your life is just a just a thorn in my side, just a pebble in my boot. And if you have anyone today who fits that category in your life, I want to submit to you that if you draw closer to Jesus, you will begin to have your perspective changed for that individual. And it starts here. It starts with one another and how we treat each other. And I want to make sure my folks in the parking lot and my folks on Zoom hear this as well, just as a reminder that we need to work extra hard at this right now because we're still kind of segregated in a few areas. But we are not three different churches. We are one church. And if you want to have a growing love for others, it starts by having a growing love for Jesus. Number two is this. You will embody the characteristics of the one who you follow. You will embody the characteristics of whoever it is that you follow. It makes me think of uh, parenting. What, what an important role it is as parents. Because you are charting a course for your children to follow. Do you, have you seen those progressive insurance commercials becoming your, becoming your parents? Have anyone seen those on TV? I love those. Hilarious. I'm going to have turkey for lunch, right? As they, and she's talking and you have to watch. I'm doing, not doing justice. Do you know God's solution for this? It's adoption. God has adopted you into a new family. And if you have a, a heavenly father who you now follow, the more you follow him, the more your characteristics will be patterned after him. The more you will look like him because you will embody whoever it is that you follow. This is one reason why we um, as parents are concerned about who our children spend time around or whatever. Maybe you can identify where you work and the type of people that you work with. They will influence your life. And so you need to know that I actually belong to a, a, a new family. I belong to the family of God. And though I live in the world, I will begin to pattern my life embody the characteristics of the God that I follow. So that, that'll happen whether you're aware of it or not, but that's part of what we're seeing here from our text today. Thirdly and lastly is this, doing good must correspond with what is true. Doing good, because this is what we're called to do, right? In verse 17 and 18, love with actions, but those actions, if you follow along here at the end of verse 18, they must also be in truth. And so one final story as we wrap up today, Jesus tells a parable uh, as, as another uh, teacher is coming to him, asking the question um, of the greatest commandment. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And he says, all right, correct. 
But who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of one of the enemies, one of the people that the Jews don't like at all, a Samaritan. And he tells a story of a beat up Jewish fellow on his way uh, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And here a Levite comes and passes by on the other side. And, and a priest comes and passes by on the other side. But when the Samaritan shows up, this is the passage here in Luke's gospel. I, I'm just going to read right down here at the end. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. You have been given a treasure. In fact, church, listen to me. You've been given a superpower. Jesus loved the people who were murdering him. That's a superpower. You've been given the same love. But if you can't get it right here, how do you ever expect it to make a difference out there? And so with that in mind, um, this is the application. You need to embody love as a valentine from God to one another. You need to embody love. Jesus is love. God is love. When I was um, in high school playing basketball, we would have practice in the gym before we would actually go play the opposing team. This is practice. Guys with me? This is where we get to perfect doing good. If it works here, it's going to work out there as well. Three ways that I want to give you that you can... um, Dude, I'll just put them up here all together. Uh, First of all, it starts with time with Jesus. That's what we saw earlier in the conclusion, right? Because a love for Jesus will lead to a love for others. So it starts with time with Jesus. How is your time with Jesus? Do you make time? Are you intentionally setting aside time in your day to spend with the second person of the Trinity? He's not some magical force that's out there. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's a person that you get to talk to and learn about and fellowship with. Starts with time with Jesus. It, it grows with a desire to right wrongs. Do you remember Zacchaeus? He met Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. And then in spending time with him, he said, man, I've been doing wrong. I need, I need, I need to make this right. I'm going to give away half of my greediness. And if anybody I wronged four times fold, I'm going to bless them. So that's where embodying love, it, it grows with a desire to right any wrongs. I'd ask you the question this morning. Has anybody wronged you? Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Yeah. And here's where you get the opportunity to reconcile anything, to wipe the slate clean. Lastly and thirdly, it's evidenced by tangible expressions of love. It's going to mean a lot more to have somebody really meet you where you are. For, for you to go to somebody rather than just be like, hey, we cool, right? We cool? <laughs> It's going to mean a lot more if there's a tangible expression of love. Let's pray together this morning.